So verse 29 of Ephesians chapter 4. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Try as we may, we have all sinned with our tongues. The Apostle James says in James 3 and verse 2, that if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able to bridle the whole body. And I suspect there are no perfect men here or women. You see, we never truly gain perfect control over our tongues. In fact, I'm convinced that if husbands and wives consistently applied verse 29 of Ephesians 4 in their lives and in their conversations, that we would very rarely see divorce. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. I believe that if parents practiced this verse towards their children, we would see very few children from Christian homes rebel against their parents. If we applied this verse towards one another in a church setting, we would see very few churches splitting over personality conflicts or minor doctrinal issues. I'm fully convinced that this verse 29 of Ephesians 4, that if it were applied to our lives on a daily basis, that there would be a radical change in all of our relationships if only we determined to let no corrupt communication proceed out of our mouths but only that which is good for edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now, if you've been with us for a little while, you'll know that beginning at verse 22, that Paul is speaking to us about the new way of life that belongs to those who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he tells us in verse 22 that There are certain things that we are to put off concerning the old way of life. Then verse 23 says we are to be renewed then in our minds. And verse 24, we are to put on the new man and the new way of life that's consistent with us being a new creation in Christ Jesus. And then he goes from preaching to meddling. He gets very specific. Verse 25, put away lying, speak the truth one to another. Verses 26 and 27, be careful with your anger. Righteous anger is fine, but sinful anger gives Satan a foothold in your life. Verse 28, stop stealing, work harder so that you can give to those that are in need. And now he tells us that Christians must transform their speech. Now transformed speech is already implied in some of the things that he's been talking about. If we're going to speak the truth, for instance, 
Our speech needs to be transformed. If we're going to be righteous in our anger, then our speech will be transformed. If we're not going to steal, stealing usually involves lying somewhere, then our speech will be transformed. Verse 31, he's going to come back to speech again. He's going to talk about bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking. In fact, if you go down into chapter 5 and verse 4, he references filthiness and foolish talking and jesting and things that are not convenient. So what he's saying is that those that are truly born again of God's Spirit, those who are truly walking in faith with the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the evidences that you've been born again is this major change in the way that you speak. And just as you can tell where someone is from by their accent, people should be able to tell that we are Christians by the way that we talk. So what Paul is saying in this verse 29 is that rather than using your words to turn people down, use them to build people up. So we're going to follow Paul's outline this morning, first of all by looking at the problem and then considering the solution. And here's the problem. The problem is that we use our words to turn people down. Now, I don't advise it, but if you turn on your television uh, any night of the week, watch what's on display, you'll not have to watch for very long before you hear examples of speech that tear others down. Much of the humor, so-called, in TV sitcoms and comedy shows involves turning strips off people. Husbands and wives, parents and children, co-workers, putting each other down. Paul says that's a characteristic of the old life and ought not to be seen in our new life in Christ. If you want God to transform your speech in line with our text this morning, I'm going to suggest that you probably shouldn't be watching much less laughing at those shows where humor comes from putting people down. So the first thing we need to do is to identify this corrupt communication. Now what's interesting is the word that Paul uses here, corrupt, that means rotten, useless, unprofitable. If you turn back in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, for instance, the Lord Jesus is speaking... And he's going to use the same word that Paul used here. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 17. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Now turn over a few pages to Matthew 13. This time we're looking at verse 48. And the Lord Jesus speaking about the kingdom of heaven like a net that's let down into the water, cast into the sea and gathers of every kind. Verse 48, and when it was full, they drew it to shore 
and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. The bad there is the corrupt. What's Paul saying? Rotten speech, corrupt communication is just like rotten fruit or rotten fish. They will not nourish anyone. It contaminates, it will make you sick. It smells bad and creates an unpleasant atmosphere for anyone who gets too close to it. So what do we do with rotten fruit and rotten fish? We throw it out. That's what Paul saying here. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Do away with it. Get rid of it. It contaminates. It poisons. It makes people sick. Let me give you some examples of rotten speech. You've already mentioned name-calling and put-downs and trading insult for insult. And very often this is done in, in the name of humour. Back in Ulster we called it banter, where we deliberately put down our friends, especially the, the more that you liked them, the more offensive you were to them. That's not good. It doesn't honour God and it doesn't build other people up. In fact, the Bible tells us we're not to return insult for insult, but rather give blessings instead, not rendering evil for evil, Peter said, or railing for railing, but countrywise blessing. What about the use of stereotypes? Not just as caustic, perhaps, as name-calling, but it still tends to turn people down by lumping them together, usually in a negative way. Stereotypes are used in a negative way. By applying a label to someone, we write them off because they're not like us. Or there's sarcasm, or ridicule, or mockery. Godly people in the Bible occasionally used sarcasm and ridicule. Elijah, for instance, when he's in the top of Mount Carmel doing battle with the prophets of Baal ridicules their worship and they're calling upon Baal and he asks, is Baal busy? Is he sleeping? Maybe if you shout louder he'll hear you and he ridicules them uh, and uses mockery. But my experience is that sarcasm is a little bit like the righteous anger that we dealt with a few weeks ago. If we're not careful in controlling it, it spills over into sin. And so I'd advise the limited use of sarcasm. What about attaching blame to people? Blaming others came in with the fall. God came to meet with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day and asked them what they've done. And Adam said, it's not my fault, it's the woman you gave me. It's her fault. And the woman said, it's not my fault, it's the serpent's fault. We're good at blaming others. We're good at it. But it's an element of ungodly speech. And it usually comes with exaggerations such as you always or you never. What about our griping and our complaining? We know people who always seem to have something to moan about. But you know Christians are told to do all things without grumbling or complaining. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. 
Paul said in Philippians 2 and 14. What about criticism? If our words are not aimed at helping or healing, but we're just venting our frustration, we're sinning. The book of Proverbs tells us that there is, a, there is that speaketh like the piercing of a sword. And I'm sure you've experienced it. Where someone's words have, have pierced you through and wounded you. Angry words. Threats. Promises of revenge. Where we're trying to dominate or control that person through fear or intimidation. Parents, of course, sometimes have to warn their children about the consequences of their behavior if it doesn't change, but it should be done calmly and with careful thought and not in the heat of anger. What about deception and lies and manipulation to get your way or gossip and slander where we mix half-truths in with the story in order to make it seem better and the other person seem worse. We could talk about profanity, taking the Lord's name in vain. Filthy language Paul talks about in verse 4 of chapter 5. Foolish talking and jest. All kinds of blue humor as it's referred to. That's not what we should be using our words for. Swear words and curse words and profanity and foul language. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. You can probably think of a whole list more than what I've come up with. But what's the solution? Well, Paul says, we as new creatures in Christ, Rather than using our words to harm others and to turn them down, let's use our words to build them up. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So to build others up, I'm going to suggest, first of all, you have to be a new creature in Christ. I'm not saying that unbelievers can't speak civilly and kindly with one another, but the kind of conversation and communication that Paul is talking about here, he says it stems from the transformation that comes about with being a new creature in Christ, created in righteousness and true holiness, he says in verse 24. You see, we can teach the unbelieving world to communicate in nice ways but you really haven't changed their nature and their nice speech just becomes a, a tool for them to get their own way or to manipulate Paul says that the Christian uses godly speech in order to glorify the saviour there's a new motive behind speaking kindly to one another and we are to use our words to build others up. So our words should be wholesome. So wholesome words should be first in our thoughts. Let me quote again from our Saviour back in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 19. He says, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, 
thefts, false witness, blasphemies. He said to the Pharisees, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Evil speech is rooted in an evil heart. That's why I said originally that conversion is the foundation for transformed speech. And we as Christians need to judge our sins not merely by the outward actions but by the thought and the heart level. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts and corrupt communication. You take a couple just for way of illustration and they've conflict in their marriage. He's digging in his heels and she's clamming up in anger. He storms out the door in the morning and throughout the, the whole day he's thinking to himself, that woman's so difficult to live with. And all day long he's running her down in his thoughts. And meanwhile she's doing the same. That man, he's so insensitive to my feelings. Maybe she starts to cry and she calls up a friend and they commiserate. But how difficult it is to live with such a monster as that. And all day long in their thoughts and their hearts, they've spent their time running each other down. Now what's going to happen when he comes home in the evening and they meet once again in the house, I suspect that their mouths will speak out of the overflow of their hearts. And the whole thing continues. We need to deal with the heart, first of all. That's where we should judge our evil thoughts, right at the heart level. Examine your sins and your shortcomings and ask God to help you and to forgive one another and before you start seeking to take the speck out of each other's eye take the beam out of your own eye first so instead of running that person down in your mind and your heart all day ask God to help you to be more thankful for them and to pray for them and for you both to be more godly in your communications with one another and think about how you can speak to that other person in a way that will not tear them down, but rather build them up. William Penn said that if you think twice before you speak once, then you will speak twice the better for it. Examine your hearts. Get it sorted out at the heart level first, and then use wholesome words, not corrupt to the use of edifying, Paul said. An edifice is a building. So to edify someone means to build them up. Use words that will help them to grow in godliness. So, again, let me give you a few examples. Encouragement and praise. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 11, Wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another. Build each other up in your faith. Encourage one another. Help one another. Strengthen one another. 
Too often we criticize one another. Parents criticize their children because they catch them doing something wrong. and It's easy to criticize. But what if you catch them doing something right? Do we praise them for it? Do we encourage them in the things that they're doing well? Do we do the same with our husbands and wives? Do we, do we offer words of encouragement and praise? What about appreciation and gratefulness? I don't mean in a way of flattery where we're trying to manipulate the situation and get what we want. But where we truly appreciate the other person and what they're doing and the things they're attempting. But they don't know that because we never tell them. What about loving words? Say to your husband, your wife, your children, your family, your parents. Someone said that if we knew that the world was ending in 10 minutes, everyone would be on their phones telling someone else, I love you. We don't have to wait for the world to end, do we? Can we not use our words to build up one another and to edify them and encourage them? What about patient words? We could go down through the whole list of 1 Corinthians 13 that speaks about the characteristics of love, how it suffereth long or it's patient. Can we be patient with our words, with our expressions, with our body language? Instead of looking at our watch and tapping at it, can we communicate patience? You know what impatience is really saying? If if you could just get yourself together like me, then everything would be fine. Kind words. Especially when someone has failed. Especially when they've done something stupid. They don't need to be reminded of their folly or the mistakes that they've made or the ridicule that comes along with it. Maybe words of kindness are needed. Maybe just to come alongside you and say, you know... I made the same mistake myself many times. And here's what helped me. Words of encouragement. Gentle words. The fruit of the Spirit includes gentleness. It doesn't imply weakness, but rather that strength under control. It means thinking about how the other person feels and how our words are going to affect them. Thinking ahead. Maybe you could share some scripture with them. Those would be good words to share. Verses that God has spoken to you through and has encouraged you with. And perhaps that person that you're speaking to, they don't need a sermon. They just need an encouragement. Here's a verse of scripture that really helped me. Here's a verse that God spoke to me through when I was greatly discouraged. Now that's not to say that we can't offer words of correction when they're needed. Sometimes we must use our words to correct. Especially when someone is acting wrongly and they, and they need to be, well, they need to change things around in their lives. But it should be done lovingly. It should be done with care and concern for the person and not simply to prove a point and to show that we are right. Every pastor, indeed every Christian, should know and practice the words of 
2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but must be gentle unto all men, apt to teach and patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. That's why we seek to warn others or to instruct them or to say perhaps, you know, this would be a better way to do it. To build them up. To use that which is good to the use of edifying. What about prayers? You know, sometimes we can't speak into every issue or speak to every problem or give words of encouragement if we're not there to help, but perhaps we can pray for that person. Maybe even just to say to them, I don't have an answer to your, to your problem, but God does, but let's ask him for his wisdom and help and pray for them. And so build them up in the things of Christ, edify them and minister grace unto the hearers. Give them grace. You ever think about that expression to minister grace unto the hearers? You see, what happens if you're at odds with another person, or perhaps you think that they've wronged you, or they've said or done something to offend you, and now they're in trouble, and you're thinking to yourself, this person doesn't deserve words to build them up, they deserve everything they're getting. And a whole lot more. No, they deserve grace and they need it just as you do. God has extended to you and I his grace. He has forgiven us of all of our sins. Even though we were unworthy and even though we've continued to sin against him. And though we're yet rebels at heart. Yet his mercy has never wavered. And his grace overflows. And he has extended to us just exactly what we needed, even though we were unworthy of it. Well, we have received that grace for them to be graceful to others. And just because they fall short or they fail at something, means that we should show grace in the same way that God showed grace to us. If we are truly new creatures in Christ, that new creation. You must seek to be more and more like the Lord Jesus, our Savior. John said of him that we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And if we truly are Christians, let's remember the word Christian means Christ's man. I'm really his Then, as Paul said in Ephesians 4 and 24, that God has created us in righteousness and holiness. Therefore, we should endeavor to make sure that our words and our actions are just like Christ's, full of grace and truth. I have to confess that there are times in my life that I look back upon and I, I must be honest and say, There were times when my words were too harsh. And I can tell you with all honesty that I regret the times that my words were too harsh and I've never regretted the times that my words were too gracious. If we're going to err 
in relation to one another, let's err on the side of grace. Not on the side of being overly strict. Let's err on the side of grace. Let's say I was more gracious than what I needed to be rather than I was less gracious than what I needed to be. God has saved me by grace alone, not because of anything that I deserved. Therefore, his grace is the main thing that should motivate us in the lives that we live. So use your words to give grace, to share God's grace as you have experienced. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. A careless word may kindle strife. A cruel word may wreck a life. A bitter word may hate instill. A brutal word may smite and kill. But a gracious word will smooth the way. A joyous word will light the day. A timely word may lessen stress, and a loving word may heal and bless. Solomon said in Proverbs 18 and verse 21, that death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can use your tongue to bring death or life. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So rather than using our words to tear down others, as a new creature in Christ, use your words to build them up. And may grace be extended in God's wonderful power and home. May the Lord help us in all of these things. Amen.